Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am your co-host, Jess Geyer. Um, I am one half of Wannabe Games, and with me is my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, I'm Craig, and I am uh, the owner of Nerdburger Games, and we make tabletop role-playing games, don't we? Not together. Not yet. Someday, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, and but, with we, us... we, but we both make games. Oh, yes, we do both make games. I, I... Always good to mention that. And with us today is our special guest co-host, Starshine. Hi, Starshine. Hi. Hello. Good to be here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So surprisingly, I also make games sometimes. Gosh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> what a coincidence. I, make, I know. It's, we just met. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I make uh, tabletop role-playing games. I'm sort of a writer, visual artist, and occasional washboard player. So it all balances out. <laughs> Did you say washboard? Yeah, yeah, that's that's my backup plan. Should the, the games go wrong, just there's always money in washboard playing. Oh yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> there's always some like in the middle of the woods cabin with a tub and like a, a string banjo that needs the washboard player. Always. <laughs> Just the atmosphere in certain yeah. films. I, I, well, I live in the I live in the south of the U.S. and um, that is a strong choice, my friend, um, <laughs> because there are so many great, uh, you know, the the, uh, the, uh, the 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 tub thump uh, player and the uh, the you know in the in the clay jug in the in the triple X clay jug. <laughs> oh, that's just pretty much my life. I saw the watch went. That looks a really stupid thing to learn. I'm going to learn it, and then just run run a spoon or your fingernails across a metal washboard. That nobody, all the kids listening is like, what a washboard? What the hell is a yeah. washboard? Well, look, I'm sorry, I'm ancient. I can't. <laughs> I've never used a washboard in my life, but I've seen enough Looney Tunes to understand. Yeah. I get it. I I have seen <laughs> I have seen a photo of my grandmother using oh. a washboard using a washboard outside when, when growing up, uh, living on the farm. My grandmother would have called it a washboard. Yeah, that's true. I have a, <laughs> some of my grandparents would have called it that as well, the washboard. Well, oh, this is boy. this is not a podcast about unconventional instrumentation. It's but a podcast. But I, I want it to be that now. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> and the beginning of this podcast is always about unconventional <laughs> instrumentation. Uh, this is a podcast about uh, GMing and, and game design. And we have two topics today that we're going to uh, focus on. Uh, Craig, do you want to gear us up to that? Sure. Um, we're going to, uh, we, we, we've been trying, Jess and I have been trying to uh, uh, mate the two uh, topics, pair them in some way. Um, and uh, it's, they're not always perfect. These are the, one of the less perfect uh, pairings. We've had some pretty good pairings, but anyway, uh, first we're going to talk a little bit about fudging dice rolls, or I guess we can expand that also into um, fudging the randomizer, whatever the randomizer might be, and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing or a highly contentious thing on Twitter, like it was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it's always a contentious thing on Twitter. It always is a contentious is. thing on Twitter. It's that's true. That's <laughs> incredibly true. All uh, right, and so we're done with that topic, and we'll. <laughs> <talk> to... <laughs> Where, where do you guys uh, stand on that? Where, where, where do you two stand on that? Um, I don't have, as a GM, I don't have an issue with it from the GM side um, in the right circumstances. If it serves, if it's going to benefit everybody, if it's going to benefit the story in some way, um, not to say 
you know, do it like crazy, do it to your heart's content, because then why bother rolling dice if you're not, you know, that's the argument that anybody that's totally anti-fudging dice will be like, well, why roll the dice if you're just going to make up things anyway? Um, but I think occasionally it can help to uh, like, you know, you, TPK or near TPK, like second session before the story's really gotten going, maybe it's okay to, you know, roll back that, uh, that fireball and like, let it be just, just tell everybody, ah, man, I can't believe I, you know, rolling behind my screen here. I can't believe I rolled near minimum damage. Um, and so your characters are going to survive. Um, but it's, it, I think we're, I think our discussion is probably going to get a lot into like where, what circumstances are, mm -hmm. is it, does it, is it okay? And where do you want to say, no, draw the line. We, we can't do it here. So I'll turn that back over to all of you and we will, uh, We'll fight it out. I'm exactly the same in that I am totally fine with it because I say it to someone who has steadily fudged dice by ballsing up my maths. There's been enough times where I've gone, oh, I should have added that. Like, and you realize like 40 minutes down the line that I forgot to add something. And you go, well, you're not going to stop the game now to redo an action 40 minutes ago. And nothing fell apart. And I've had players who have fudged roles to, to use it generally by simply misreading dice. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone rolls, you're looking at one, you're thinking of the other, and you end up picking the wrong one. It happens, and the game doesn't immediately implode on itself. So I think, actually, it's not... I'm Again, it's a controversial topic, and I see why. I think there's, like, several discussions going on inside it that gets brought down to the binary for or against. Decide now, and the other side will come to your house and break your kneecaps. But I think there's a <laughs> couple of discussions about how mechanics work, and it is wrapped up in those kind of horror story GMs you get. You know, the ones sure. you see on Reddit where it's like, oh, they went out to totally mess up one person who would annoyed them that day. Right. And I think that's why people get a bit, I don't like this idea because it pulls back to those stories. And if you've had one of those stories, oh, I pity you because they're horrible, all of them. I stopped reading them ages ago because they just depress me. But I think outside of there is that discussion that sometimes... Dice are very, very annoying if you're using them. <laughs> like, there's a, someone who has a terrible habit of getting statistically unlikely rolls and statistically unlikely draws from card decks. Uh, I've been doing that a lot recently because I, I recently brought a tarot deck, which I seem to immediately ruin every time. Like, I can draw sweets in one go. I don't know how I'm doing it because I'm not trying. But sometimes randomizers fail. And that's where I think fudging is important. But where we get to this topic, it always boils down to the same thing. It's really about your table contract because everyone wants something different. And just going in knowing that is what makes sort of sets expectations. Yeah. I, from it's it's definitely different from a designer perspective and a, and a, and a GM perspective because from a designer perspective, hopefully you don't want to put the people who are playing your game in a position where they're going to want to fudge the dice. And there are systems that can do that really well, uh, like where you have failing forward or like it's fun to fail. No one's going to want to fudge that, that die roll if it's fun to fail. And as a GM, you want to make sure your players are having fun and you're able to tell, uh, you're able to play a game or tell a story that you wanted to play or tell. And if, if you are like me uh, and you have terrible, terrible luck with dice, 
you're never going to pose any threat to your your players if that is a if I, I every time I'm playing villain I I'm terrible I'm terrible at rolling can't do it just low numbers all all the way around and uh, that that that's the problem with something being well it's not necessarily always a problem but that that's the thing with something being random it can be random in in good ways and bad ways and neutral ways uh and uh yeah i i guess for me i i when i started playing tabletop role playing games i never had encountered a, a screen i'd never encountered a screen before i'd only seen it in the one episode of Dexter's Laboratory where Dee plays the, the dungeon master and they have the, the screen, they're rolling behind the screen and everything. Uh, I didn't know what that was for. And honestly, I, I didn't know what a, a screen was for until I was far, far too into my tabletop role-playing gaming <laughs> passion and hobby um, that I realized what it was actually for. Uh, I, I just a lot of a lot of cases I don't see why you would want to hide the dice from someone. And for me, it would, I guess as a player, I I don't like the idea of my GM pretending that a die roll was different than what it actually was. I'd rather it be I I I, I haven't thought about it all too much, but I think I would rather my my jam roll in front of me for something like a fight at least and tell me like yeah this happened um and then negotiate outside of that not necessarily fudging the die and 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 covering it up but coming to some different solution for what just happened that isn't conducive to the game that we're playing does that make sense Mm -hmm. sure i'm gonna i'm gonna talk a little bit about statistics because that's exciting podcasting um and the the simple truth of it is this is this is one of the the uh tact that i take this kind of the point of view that i come from is that if you were to for example roll a d20 um 100 times assuming a balance to die um you're not going to get a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, a six, and so forth. And you're not right. even necessarily going to get roughly even number of rolls below 50 and rolls above 50. Um, you're probably going to skew one way or the other in those hundred rolls. And you're probably also going to have what are referred to in statistics as micro clusters. I love this. I learned this from the TV show numbers. What it means is that you might never see of 14, 15, or 16 in those 100 rolls, but you see multiple 17s, multiple 18s, multiple 19s, and multiple 20s, or even just like, you know, multiple 16s and multiple 17s, and then nothing or, or very few on the other side of that. And whatever the randomizer is, like if you happen to roll a lot of 20s in a D&D game, that's going to significantly skew how the game goes. Um, you aren't necessarily going to roll just five in 100 rolls. Um, you know, you might roll 17 in 100 rolls because the dice don't care what the previous 99 rolls were. Um, and, you know, there's, I think it's okay <laughs> when things start to go one direction or the other hard. If the GM recognizes that like, oh, this combat is getting, it's like really, really hard because I just never miss. Like maybe give the players a respite <laughs> a little bit here and there. Even if you roll well enough, like, okay, we, we're going to let them miss 
for a couple of rolls to let the players catch their breath, give the characters a chance to heal or do whatever they're going to do to get into a defensive position or whatever. That'll help make the story more interesting rather than just steamrolling through the characters. And the other direction too, if the if the if you're if you're running a fight that's up against like some big bad, um, if your dice aren't cooperating with you, the players are gonna you know you're rolling low all the time. The players are just gonna roll all over the top of it. And if it's like the you know a pivotal moment in the story or the finale, um, that's no that's no good. Like that's it, it the in in the moment, um, players might be like, yeah, and we just rolled over the bad guy, um, and they might tell that you know and and remark about that story down the road too, where we just like we, we you know, like the bad guy just couldn't hit us, and we just you know unleashed all of our power and blah blah blah. Um, but there's there's a little so there's something to be said for making them earn it a little bit more when the dice aren't mm. cooperating um, and helping you to because sometimes like like Starshine Starshine said like the dice the dice are dicks and they just don't cooperate with you to help <laughs> try to tell the type of story you want to tell and if the part of that story is like that they should have to struggle a little bit with the uh, you know the big bad at the end of the the story arc then. You know, maybe. I think another thing to point out here is when, when your statistics comment is actually right. There's actually another point to that is that very few dice you buy outside of casino settings or lab standard dice are actually balanced. Yep. They all have right. pools and we're not ever rolling on a standardized surface. For instance, this table I'm on now actually tilts slightly to the left. <laughs> I can tell you this because when I test on it, if anything involves uh, Jenga tiles, it will always fall left because this whole building is tilted slightly to the left. Now, I can't say in a book, only play this game if your building is sloped left, because that immediately, <laughs> actually, I probably should do that. It would probably get, probably get attention, but you have to count out our randomizers outside, unless, unless you use a random number generator on a computer, and even most of those are flawed. Not perfect. We, ha we haven't very, nailed that yet. Unless you're using very specific ones to get close to true random are not true random. Wait, yeah. is that true? I we didn't still know that. We still haven't done it. We do not they have use, a perfect random. We come very, very, very close. They use we, seeds basically at the moment. Isn't it the common one? And even then, that isn't that you can do well on your home computer. The last, the last I heard is we're not. It's not quite perfect. It's one of those things that, oh like every gosh. time we, every time we improve it, we improve ourselves halfway to perfect. My, so it's a, it's a incrementally smaller and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the randomized number generator, but it never is quite perfect. Which is one of those. It's uh, wild. Sort of, this can be had when you have to sort of factor in this conversation is random of what we mean in this context is not true random what we'd mean if we were in CERN, where that true random you know, sort of gigavolt of energy could mean many things. Here you accept that dice aren't perfect randomizers, and even your sort of roll 20 isn't a perfect randomizer. So you have to kind of account for that. Sometimes there are gonna be those microclusters that appear, and sometimes See, for me, a big thing is, I think talking to the table before is, again, I'm going to come back to this so many times, I think that's just the key to everything, is that I often, if players find that, I'll often just say that as a GM, like, this cluster of roles is stupidly statistically improbable and it makes no sense. So I'm going to just re-roll or swap the dice or roll in a different angle because, you know, this person shouldn't be rolling five 20s in a row. That's just not logical. That doesn't make any sense for this setup. Mm. Now, of course, some people don't like that. They don't like seeing sort of, I, I heard it called the hand of God, which I feel so, <laughs> I don't like that. It's a bit, a bit of a top of me, but I get it. Like you don't want to see the puppets, puppeteer working. 
Right. And you go to a puppet show, even though that's in the puppet community, that's actually a big argument. So it's actually funny how these arguments sort of cross boundaries. <laughs> the fact that you know that, I'm so intrigued, but I feel like that's a that's a rabbit hole conversation. <laughs> I've I've seen people get into that argument where it's like, are the puppeteers' hands or the puppeteer in general, but like the puppeteers' hands, are they part of the show? I mean, like the hands might be part of the show because to see the hands do the intricate things to make the puppets work is like, oh, that's really amazing and cool to watch too. Or you don't want to see, then other people are like, you don't want to see anything at all and just focus on the, you know, the, the wonderful figure that's. Watching. Well, I bring this up. There's actually a Jim Henson interview that actually plays what I'm about to say. Um, he made a point of when, when doing Kermit on talk shows where he was just sat there, people still approach Kermit as Kermit mm-hmm. because no one cares about the man with a beard sitting around. They're going to go to the more interesting thing, which is the talking frog, <laughs> <laughs> which I think plays into this with the, with a bit of the fudging. Sometimes it's fine to tell players that, hey, my dice, this whatever we're doing for this randomizer is having a bad day. Let's let me reset it. Let me try a different one, and then have them focus on the actual story rather than getting your digging yourself into a hole of like. Um, yeah, I actually had it a couple of months ago that Roll20 just, I don't know what it was, a server connection issue, was just rolling the same exact dice pool results over and over again. Oh. Like literally six, five, two, one, over. Like, whoever rolled, that is what they would get. Presume the server was being with. But it, then it's time to say, hey, clearly this isn't, this is <laughs> taking away from the story. So let's show the puppeteer for a brief moment while we all refresh the page or we consider using another dice roller. So we're not having these random dice and whatever the software problem is affect the game. But again, for, sure. for some players, that's a bad, they wouldn't want that. And that's why sort of discussing this beforehand is important. I think it also depends on the game you're playing, which is always the, the big neon sign caveat on every uh, discussion. You're right. Some games are built in a way with fail forward and stuff where it isn't really that important. Mm-hmm. But some games are built where if someone goes off on the world's weirdest, statistically unlikely dice tangent, you're in problems. Yeah, if your dice aren't cooperating with you on traditional Call of Cthulhu, you've got problems. <laughs> like that, that game is going to become very unpleasant for you if you are looking for a certain but type of experience. But at the same time, players might like that because it fits the... That's a right. total it de- thing. It where... depends. It depends on the player, right? And it, 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 I, so it's all over the place. Yeah. I've always said the thing is, I'm someone who likes stories in general. So for me, the idea of like, oh, these dice went terribly wrong, so now everyone's dead, feels like going to a performance of a Midsummer Night's Dream, and then midway through Act Three, bottom trips over a loose flagstone and dies, and that's it. That's the story, people. <laughs> Sorry about all the, the thread and everything else. We're not going to deal with that because yeah, this random rock hit the lead on the head. Mm. And I'm not I'm not a fan of that. But then again, some people are. And if everyone liked what I liked, the world would be terrible. I, <laughs> I saw this production of Summer Night's Dream once, and Bottom and Bottom just died. It was the most amazing thing ever. The only takes performance of the 200% mortality. <laughs> <laughs> I can see some audiences. I can see some audiences that might like that. No. <laughs> it's very edgy. It's very avant-garde. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's your story. And said some players are going to love the idea of like, oh, it's just the dice and we're going to throw people into this meat grinder. And, and there are, I can't, what is the uh, the convention D&D module that was designed literally as a meat grinder? Tomb, okay. uh, Tomb of Tomb Horrors. Of, Tomb of Horrors, that's the one. 
the whole game is built around everyone going in knowing, bring 50 character sheets because every 10 seconds someone's going to be getting impaled on something. That's right. cool because everyone's going in there knowing that. And I, I'm fine with that. To yeah. me, that I would see that and go, yeah, what? Well, not for me. I'm all right, thanks. And that's fine. People have their own wants and people have their own needs from a story. Whereas, you know, certain players come and going, I want to have an entire, I want to sort of really get into this character and play a character who I love a hell of a lot. So at that point, having like random dice that cause them to just drop dead because, yeah, loose flagstone to the head. Yeah. Would hurt. And I, know, I also know groups, and I've one of my old groups had this as a thing. They were always iffy on heavy character deaths because, like, well, we have two hours a week. If you die early in the session, that's two hours you've put aside to do now do nothing. And you've got to make a new character, which is work. And we're all running on tight schedules, so we'll try and have other things rather than having characters die. So these characters can continue and we can just keep using them. Cool. Everyone knew that going in. Everyone who didn't like that had the chance to go, yeah, actually, no, I'm not going to do this. Then part of that was me often saying, hey, this, this dice roll is stupid. <laughs> you know, Kevin, the, the thief with a slingshot, shouldn't be able to repeatedly hit you from 500 feet with a rock. <laughs> because, but that's so what do you want to do? And we'll think of a way around that. Like I said, I, I wouldn't want my my GM to roll behind a screen and then and then and then lie about it. Um I don't I don't I probably wouldn't notice to be honest, but I have had situations where I was a, I was the GM and the most recent D D campaign that I've that I've done they were leaving the woods going up on their first adventure for the first time and they were attacked by some stuff and it plumped them entirely. I was like, well, that's, it's not going to be fun if they just die here. So instead of like, I didn't fudge my dice there. I was rolling openly in front of them, but I, I brought in essentially what was a deus ex, ex machina. Someone came in and, and, and saved them instead. Like I, I added a story element that would explain like, yeah, you're getting pummeled, but it's going to be okay because these people are going to come in. Um, and that, that ended up working out pretty well. I, I think that there are, there are ways you could work around that where you're not necessarily showing the puppet master and you're not fudging the dice, but you are, you are creating new story elements or potentially story elements that will have consequences later like instead of having a tpk all of your all of your um all the players wake up in an unfamiliar place uh that that gets around them all dying in an unsatisfactory way um i've had that happen to me as a player before too um where like oh we thought we were all just dead and then our gm's like okay go take a break and then has set up this new thing for us that is a into the into the fire from the frying pan um type situation and that was really fun uh, so there there are i think some ways that you can work around it I, I guess right now though my brain is still like trying to get around this math thing because now uh, all the I've, I've laughed and laughed and laughed at all of this dice superstition that people have and their dice jails and their bad dice and their dice shaming like that could be real like maybe that works <laughs> now that i know yes. that could be temperamental there's two elements to it, and part of it is confirmation bias because humans, we love making stories oh, yeah. and finding patterns and things. Uh, that's why there is that, oh, again, things on straight out of my head, the thing where we humans see faces in everything. Uh, Parandolia? Uh, yeah. We naturally see faces in things um, all the time because humans design to look for other humans. But, uh, yeah, it's, 
dice aren't random effectively and most people you will notice patterns but also you will start confirming patterns you think you see right again so i presume i think my tarot card thing it's probably there's probably a decent amount of confirmation bias plus me being bad at shuffling in there but it's the thing it's not true random and your dice every dice you have in your house unless you're buying casino dice I've had that discussion with people who like, you know, these, uh, like they banish their dice, like they're rolling poorly and they banish the dice and set them aside. And these like, and they, they try to tell me, well, the dice, you know, it's like, like they tell you like, you know, well dice, you know, like you said, Starshine, uh, dice aren't necessarily perfectly well balanced. And the D20 you were using all the time might be skewed a little bit to, to hit a couple of low numbers more often um, because it's an imperfect object. Um, Or it's, actually skewed to hit high numbers more often and you just happen to hit those micro clusters of rolling low numbers this time around and so now you've banished that die for no good reason because there are far too many things <laughs> that can play into that uh that issue um right but it didn't hire a good enough lawyer <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's not a, the legal system is there and it refused to engage with it and my uh... <laughs> so... just, like my part like i know that dice aren't like the dice that you get aren't aren't going to be random. There's always going to be things on there, but I my my mind is just blown right now. I feel like I'm, I'm in a puddle of existential crisis. And there's the there's the, the mathematics. There's the there's the, there's the perception, the whole perception, which is partly off a of confirmation bias, but it's also a perceptive thing too. Where you be like as a GM, you might be rolling dice and everything's going along fine, and you're getting a really good spread of low and high results. Like everything's just happening to work out nicely, but you're not getting the successes on the cool abilities. Yeah. So you think, well, this, this clearly sucks. Like this isn't working for me. Like this, this die is banished because it's not allowing my, my big bad monster to do its cool things. It should have been able to at least do one of those, even though like the little, you know, the little monsters are hitting like crazy. Um, and, and you just like, yeah, it's all perception. It's <laughs> And uh, Jess, if you ever want to have a discussion about um, uh, the Monty Hall problem and you don't know how the Monty Hall problem works, um, I will blow your mind even more with that. Oh, I know the Monty Hall problem. Uh, the first time I ever encountered that in a stati- uh, statistics class. I've taken <laughs> statistics classes. Okay. That's the funny thing. It was the only math class I took in college. Okay. So anybody <laughs> out there listening to this, um, go to Wikipedia, read uh, what it has to say about the Monty Hall problem, and it will blow your mind about statistics. Also, it's all the, true. Uh, X, math? Uh, XEKD comic, which sort of builds on that concept because it's actually very clever. Yes. The long and short of it is, and if, if you're not interested in going to read about the Monty Hall problem, we're not going to go into describing it, but the basics of it is this. Um, you always change. You always switch. Choose always. the other door. It's always better for you. Unless you want a free goat. You want a free, if you want a free goat, stick with the goat. That's yeah. true. That's but in true. this economy, goats. <laughs> yeah. You always switch to the other door. Always. Goats That's the Monty Hall problem actually is a really interesting thing when you get on this comic. It, it goes back to my thing about there's a difference between ra- random as we, we're using it and random as in random. Yep. No one is expecting your average TTRPG designer to write a paper on theoretical statistics to make right. their game work. And that this is why I'm always sort of thing with... This is why I think part of it is why I'm okay with sort of fudging as a concept. Uh-huh. is because I have seen stupidity happen and i get i get it you can't test for every option i've played games that have rules that break in very specific circumstances via combinations of chance that really you're going well the designer could have accounted for that it's like 
this is a one in a hundred, one in 200 chance for all of these things to click together in the right way. Of course, no one tested for it because it's not obvious. And that's why I'm always a bit more sort of laid back. Like, yeah, you can't expect people to, especially small studios. Like, and I also, I know enough video game designers to know how bugs can come out of nowhere when you least expect them because you simply don't think about something that a player might do. And I break many video games by doing stupid things that I've <laughs> never considered. And you look and you go, ah, like, sure, this could have been fixed. But also, the developer probably shouldn't have had to consider this idiot will buy every cabbage in the world and then throw them in this specific hole. <laughs> because, no, unless you're being a, you know, an obtuse fool like myself, you're not going to do that. <laughs> but I would like to sort of add a tail end to this with the fudging. I think it's actually an important thing for me. When you are sort of fudging, I think it's important to think about why you're doing it. Because if you are at the point where you're fudging like 80% of the roles in a game, maybe look it into a different game. Like you're saying with your big oh, monsters yeah. are being able to hit their big moves. If you're after that sort of tokusatsu style, everyone's throwing their big hits at each other continually, then D&D isn't good for that right. at all. Because D&D, the, the super moves are kind of weak and everyone's a bit too squishy to do like the full, that kind of mob combat kind of feel so if you are doing all of them and you're doing it because it's not telling the story you want then it might be worth considering maybe as a different game or a different sort of module or hack that would bring that more in line with what i want mm-hmm. that's the point where i'd say yeah fudging is probably not what you it's covering up for the bigger problem here and that you've got sort of a genre mismatch between how your story and how your game are working that's fair yeah that's that's 100 true chance the problem but yeah, and say I'm fine with you covering for chance because, again, dice are the universe is is you know unforgiving in every form and it's undefeated. Yeah, the universe is undefeated. No matter what us. you do, the universe wins. Like all the rules of the universe. They, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Elementary <laughs> physics will be your undoing continually. I I yeah I, I don't have anything like fundamentally. I don't have a fundamental problem with fudging dice. I I think the people who are vitriolically against it and a little bit over dramatic at times um but he's just having this conversation i think it's our understanding of how math works and, and what random means and what our expectations are out of these dice and and how much what quote-unquote common sense doesn't actually work with statistics and and math i can see why people would get so upset about it like I, I can I can see now, like especially more, I can see that uh that I have to think it's being vitriol valley because it's kind of fun sometimes. Oh yeah. I, I, well, I sometimes yeah. It's so <laughs> low stakes. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it's fun to argue over what pizza is best because at the end of the day it doesn't really matter. Yeah, because it's so wild. <laughs> Nobody nobody's going to convince you that that pizza that you love so much is like you they're never going to convince you to not have that pizza again yeah yeah <laughs> the skies are going to fall tomorrow if everyone suddenly agrees pepperoni pizza is good it's fine <laughs> we all have our little fun arguments that we have and then with the dice shaming there's a ritual element that we have mm-hmm. our own sort of group mythologies and group rituals that are fun though to the, to an outsider they're they don't have sex they don't have the meaning we ascribe to them we all have our little foibles, and that that's fine. <laughs> when they meet the internet, sometimes people will look at them in a way that you never intended, and that's where I'm, that's pretty much Twitter. <laughs> you are exactly Welcome right. To, to Twitter, where hell reigns continually. 
Yeah, we, I mean, we've, go oh, ahead. Go, go on. Ahead. No, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, we've said time and time again on this podcast that you should always be talking to your players and, and setting expectations and making sure that you're checking in, that everyone's on the same page. So everyone is having fun because why would you play a game if you're not having fun? Yeah. And then every group is very, very different. And mm-hmm. I, I said earlier, everyone likes different things. That's good. Everyone likes what I liked and the world would be horrible. But that's important, <laughs> just finding the group that works for you. And I, I even say this when I, I'm looking, currently looking for a new group because COVID ruined my old one, is that um, I'm not a DM for everybody. That's fine. Like, here's, here's my, how, what I do. If you're after sort of, yeah, your meat grinder, I'm not the person for you. And hey, that's fine. I can help you find someone who might be for you. Mm-hmm. I will also sort of, again, looping back, so that's what I'm doing today, I also, I definitely think that part of fudging as well is for newer GMs, it is a nice comfort blanket. Yeah. Because I, especially on things with D&D, like CR is, might as well be a foreign language of how it works itself out. So I think for certain, why certain GMs also feel very strongly about it is because it is nice to have on math-heavy systems where you're trying sort of putting your foot into like making a monster of your own yeah. It's nice to be able to know midway through the session if you've, oh, that's not how that, that's oh, not how this, that number this, this thing's going to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, how this worked out CR is totally wrong, or the fact that CR doesn't really work when it's introduced to humans. Like, the second the human element comes into that calculation, everything's out the window. Because it relies on everyone acting optimally, which people rarely do, because right. they're people. Um, it's nice. I think it's definitely something that I'd say for GMs. Like, yeah, keep, you know, obviously, as you've said, keep in mind your table, keep in mind everything else. But that those numbers on a sheet, they're not carved in stone. If you suddenly realize, I balled this right up. It's a lesson for the future. Oh, and I, honestly, I think one of the best topics you can ever talk to with a new GM is how to mess up horribly. <laughs> while doing it well like how to instead sometimes like approaching failure isn't getting annoyed and sort of getting angry mm-hmm. part of it is sometimes just step down to your group i'm new i totally forgot how math works today i've, I've literally had um a uh, uh like a new gm like be the show, show the puppet hands in yeah. that exactly situation to be like you know i'm I, like halfway through the comment they're like i invent I, you know i wrote this monster up and clearly this thing is going to kill all of you so i'm going to make a few adjustments right now so you have a chance and we're all yeah. like that's fine we have no problem <laughs> with that because we were getting our asses handed to us oh yeah that's part of my session zero is that sometimes yeah. i will just be like this is the situation we're in with this game and i think this has gone away that doesn't really fit what you all requested. How do we fix this? Do you want to continue on? And then I'll, if it goes wrong, I'll write a story thing to get you around. Like like the whole thing of wake up in a foreign place or going to hell and having to fight your way back out. Or would you like at this moment for me to make these changes that I think will help the game? And then that's up to common vote. Do we want to dive into some more math? Yeah, and now, yes. that, we've, and now that we've solved that, and put that question to bed forever. Oh, don't say, don't say. <laughs> I can already hear my Twitter mentions going up. <laughs> Let's talk about randomizers in design and, uh, you know, how the randomizer that you use uh, might affect your design. 
This is a topic I love. This is something, this is a big favorite oh. of mine as well. Because I have an annoying habit of using terrible randomizers. It's become my thing. <laughs> a quick, a quick uh, setup for it too is we're not, we're not going to just talk dice, but randomizers in general. So playing cards, dominoes, coin flips, um, you know, uh, bag, of, bag of beads, <laughs> uh, token expenditure and gain. Um, Throwing garbage at people. What? Throwing garbage at people. <laughs> my games. <laughs> and uh, uh, I guess I'll, I'm going to let anybody at Starshine, if it sounds like you've got some strong opinions, oh. let's, let's hear them. You've awakened the beast. Um, <laughs> actually, yeah, my, my first point is I'm going to bring up is I have this annoying problem of I give myself stupid randomizers to use all the time. I need help, basically, is what I'm saying. The whole podcast is a cry for help. <laughs> but sometimes I think you can split randomizer talk into two, two very different conversations. You have the randomizer in the form of the math, the hard numbers of sort of how often in situation A will situation B be true. Then you also have mechanic feel. Certain randomizers feel good for certain games. As we said, there's no such thing as true random on most commercially brought dice. So why don't you use computers? Because dice feel better. They make noise and they they colors you buy with a fit. That's much more engaging to players than, you know, just a simple oh, click the button. Oh, it's a four. Mm-hmm. Like immediately, I've had this even when te- I did this when I was testing a game. I literally A B test it with giving one set of dice and one set a random number generator. The dice people have much more fun, even though mechanically they were doing exactly the same thing. Because yeah, humans, we have five senses and we love to use as many of them at once as we can. Mm. Dice are color, they're noise. And I also think uh, so this is important to think about not just what's mathematically optimal, but what fits the feeling of your game. For instance, a lot of solo games use Jenga towers as part of their randomization mechanic. They're your health, effectively. Jenga towers, terrible at randomizing things. Because by a skill, you can slowly manipulate it to win every time. A good Jenga player can keep a tower going way longer than you'd think. Also, a Jenga tower can be ruined by the person who lives above you deciding this morning they're going to start jumping up and down. (laughs) A stray dog tail, you know, anything. Your roommate decided to walk into the table, look over and go, yeah. But they work really well for solo games because they have this very big moment of tension and catharsis when they fall, the noise, the movement. And there is also a focus element, which works really well, because Jenga is actually quite sort of a... Meditative sounds a bit over the top and pretentious, but it is. It's kind of a trancey kind of thing, because you're having to really focus on these movements as you realise how shaky your hands are. And that works for solo games, where you're trying to be pulled into a setting. So you have to consider sort of what feels good as well as what the math says. Basically, this is the side where sort of the arts and the sciences have a scrap. <laughs> sure, and there's, there's uh, you know, when it comes to, for example, rolling dice, there's, there's a feel to, I've got 15 D6 in my two hands. Um, yes. And that is an example of how powerful my wizard is with this fireball. You know, and, that's, and I, that's what works about vampire specifically. The dice pool element really fits the I'm a gigantic vampire through everyone who's against me. And I've got a pile of D10s to prove it. <laughs> yeah, it fits that I'm a I'm a massive hulking beast of a creature. It works. 
And I think that's sort of a big thing to factor into design is exactly what feeling you're wanting to invoke and why. Yep. And then the mechanic side of it. Like, what are you, what are you having the, the players do when they, if they're rolling uh, one die and they're just looking for the result on that die, that has a particular feel. And then how you apply bonuses or penalties to it versus if you're rolling multiple dice and taking the better of them or you're rolling dice together and adding them up, um, that creates a different um, experience at the table too. Like rolling a bunch of D6s and having to add them up like that's, that's a very, you know, that's a very specific feel to the game where it's like, you know, you've, when you, if you're playing the game, you know, and you, as a designer, think about it in terms of the players and what they're going to experience. They're going to want to try to get as many of those D6s as possible because that's the only way to make their roll higher. There's not bonuses of just plus this or plus that. That also comes to the disadvantage of it slows the game down because you're having to add many dice together. Or it becomes it comes with the advantage of slowing the game down so other players have the chance to think about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It all depends on what, what you're looking for. But and there's um, also the accessibility comment of most we can presume most players of TTRB regularly will have X number of certain dice in their house. Yep. Now, I, so I can say, yeah, most people have 2d20, but I can't really guarantee you'll have 30d20 around to play the game. And if every player needs 30d20, suddenly your game is becoming exceedingly inaccessible unless people are buying, or either you're shipping it with enough dice to make it work, or you think people have that amount of dice. I've made ch- I've made choices on on game designs based on like I'm going to do d6s for this because I know anybody everybody's going to have a handful of yeah. d6s even it's, if they don't game they're going to have yeah, a handful it's why, of d6s. It's why I use d6 so often it's because it's really especially I know, I know a good chunk of audience of people who aren't sort of hard hard terrible but you know what I mean the hardcore TTRPG player so I can go to a convention with a game that's just two d6 I can be like you got Monopoly at home of course you do statistically you've got everything you need to play this game now that's all you need. Whereas going to those people and going, you need a D2, uh, D20, a D8, a D8 roll down, they've already left. They're at the other booth, <laughs> two down now. Yeah, when, where I grew up, like when I started playing D&D for the first time, there wasn't a place in my town where you could get a set of poly dice. You could maybe buy some just six-sided dice somewhere, but you couldn't find a, 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 the set you needed to play D&D with. You had to drive to another city to go get it to the closest game store, which was 45 minutes away. And going there, that was, um, number one, it was a little bit of, you know, you had to have gas money, had to have a ride. I didn't have a car. And then you had to have money to buy the dice there too, which was also uh, a problem for me uh, when I was growing up. Uh, It did, it made gaming inaccessible at first, um, except that luckily I had friends who already had this stuff set up you know um not not even to mention the cost of the books themselves which obviously you should uh be paying for your games but uh, it can make things inaccessible but uh there are um yeah there are lots of fun things you can do that don't even require dice too that are accessible i made a i made a solo game where you are basically playing the game in your head where you're you know, the game you played when you were a kid, you pretended to be a spy and spy on people using the stuff in your house. Like, Aww. okay, there's secret messages in your books. Grab a book off your bookcase. Go look at the cars and the colors that are going by, things like that. Um, so there are all sorts of things you can do that might not necessarily be completely random. Um, but yeah. I think that's, that's an important one. So I've, I've seen a few games. So I, say I have a Heart of Trap, which is literally about recycling. 
it's oh. guessing what recycling you're pulling out of a bin because you're playing as raccoons. That's fun. I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I see. And the thing, I, I have a thing of just picking stupid mechanics and being, oh, I'm going to build a game around this and then regretting immediately. But uh, that's the thing. So true sort of randomness isn't always needed. Mm-hmm. And I think adding that random element can, can sometimes harm your game. You don't need sort of the accoutrements of the standardized t- tabletop role-playing game. Right. It's vestigial for a lot of games. Yeah. And it depends exactly what you're going for. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think in thinking out your tone and what that mechanic conveys is very important. And I would argue it's probably more important than the math, even though I love the math, because I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, it's a thing to count for. Uh, yeah, obviously, you can do so much more when games have dice. It pulls in people who maybe aren't into tabletop role-playing games in sort of their core sense. Yeah. And that's good. I, I would also oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say, like, from an anthropological standpoint, not from a mathematical standpoint, I think it's really funny that we're using things like a lot of these games use dice and cards when when dice and cards got their start in our societies. It wasn't because we thought they were random. It's because we thought that they weren't random, that they were selected by spirits of the gods or fate or whatever. That's why people started rolling bones or, or um, casting lots and uh, drawing cards. I mean, there's, there's a reason why people read runes or tarot cards or throw bones into a fire to see how they crack, because there is kind of this, this fun, mystical sense to it. And like going back to our conversation about dice shaming and and things like that it it there there is that sense of i i there's there's something out beyond my control affecting this and it might not be random i i think that that's a fun part of of doing this casting <laughs> and you can look into tarot cards actually it's the opposite because tarot cards started as merely the french deck of cards right. mm-hmm. it was just their variant on it that then attained this sort of spiritualist thing as it went on. Right. And now finding that there's a brilliant variant of poker that uses the tarot deck, the uh, French King's Poker, I believe it's called. It's brilliant. I really recommend it if you get a chance to play it because it really opens the game up. But nowadays you're not going to find people doing that. It's a very rare game to find played where now tarot cards are very much associated full on with the mysticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, the Ouija board only became sort of what it is today after The Exorcist came out. It was, <laughs> yeah. a, children, it was a children's novelty during the American Civil War. But the Exorcist is what cemented it in the public's mind as like this terrifying door to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple of, there's a few things like, we can, like you can point to one moment, one big pop culture moment where that became a thing, like Jaws with sharks. Right. Fear of shark attacks is still a big thing, and it's because of Jaws. So <laughs> how we build, how people sort of build these narratives into, into life is a is a thing to consider when you're sort of encountering that. So I'm like to sort of microcosm and flip in a plug on my own game. The last my release, um, Macaroon's Milkshakes and Magic, uses tarot cards entirely. Now, when I was building that, I picked those for three reasons. One, the high sort of Drawing a single tarot card from a deck of a new deck, freshly shuffled, you know, all that lab conditions is one in 78. That's a lot of randomness, which is good. I want it to be exceptionally random. Yeah, card decks, 
you can actually affect them over time, unlike dice. And with dice, every roll doesn't give a crap what the last one was. <laughs> yeah. They're a new state. Cards, you can actually manipulate the deck in various ways mm -hmm. by adding, removing. There are even different, even though these aren't in the game, there are different shuffles you can do to alter card order. Famously, there is a common um, on-man shuffle, which doesn't move the position of cards in the deck. It's, uh, it's used a lot in card tricks. Also, we'll get you kicked out of casinos like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> and third was because tarot cards, the sort of the, it's a magical girl-themed game. There is a good link between sort of magical girls and tarot cards traditionally. Like, uh -huh. look at a card capture Sakura famously yes. had the cloud cards, which were just tarot cards. And there are um, Tarot Cafe Club was a big one that had the same thing. Sort of stars, tarot, and that area of mysticism is heavily linked to tokusatsu, and it's heavily linked to magical girls because you see them all pulling from this kind of shared mythology. So it totally fit that feeling while also being mathematically viable. Um, to plug my own game, same thing with Capers, um, which is a game set in the 1920s um, about gangsters. And it's all uh, used, uh, you, you play with a, with a standard de deck of cards with jokers. Um, and there's, there's so much you can do with cards. Like uh, okay. Starshine said, there's like the fact that the, the deck composition changes over time if you continue to just discard cards um and then you know when when what happens in the game that allows you to then reshuffle those cards back in and reset the random or the, the randomization or the, the full spread of possible cards and cards can do a lot more than dice can do in insofar as what number do you get what suit do you get what color do you get is it odd or even is it a suit or a not um is it the highest card is it the lowest card um, jokers can be special things, you know, if, if you're adding stuff, you, know, you, you can play 21 rules, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you're adding cards together and the ACE can be a one or, a, or an 11. Um, there's so many different things you can do with it. And that presents a particular feel to the game. Um, and then in addition to like, are you forming a hand and choosing which cards you're playing, or are you just flipping cards individually? Um, and uh, you know what, what are you doing with all that? And that sort of thing plays into dice as well. Like the uh, the the question of like, are you rolling a bunch of dice? Are you just shooting for a high target number, or is there a reason to have the lower number be more important? The lower number that you roll be more important um, is are you looking for multiple successes? Are you adding things together? Those all have very specific feels um, in the game. Like um, I think one of maybe the best mechanic that I, i've designed is for die laughing where you're playing it's a horror comedy game where your character is going to die it's just a question of when and you're literally starting with a handful of d6s and as you play you lose d6s from your pool for various reasons and so your your pool visually diminishes and gets smaller as your character gets closer to death you have less less dice in your hand they are quieter on the table the less dice you are rolling so there's like all these clues and cues um, that play to the mechanic and um, can reinforce a theme. And you can do that with, um, with a lot of different things. Um, if you've got a game, uh, if you're just rolling a die and what you roll is what you roll, then that's one type of feel. If you're rolling a die, but you can spend a point to roll it again, or there's some other you know, mechanical um, thing that happens in the game, some other, th some other way for you to be able to re-roll, um, but you have to take the second roll, you know, or do you get the best, better of the two rolls? Those all have different feels 
you can you can turn the game from just like well the randomizer says this you can turn it into like every roll is a is like a little gambling game where you get a chance to re-roll but you have to take the second one so even if you succeeded maybe you didn't succeed well enough and now you're going to take that roll again and hope that you succeed better but you could fail i think um it's important with the cards to point out that that is you know the fact cards uh, can do so much is the entire reason that the collectible card tcg scene exists mm-hmm. because of that I think you made a good point. One of the core cool things you're doing when you're when you're starting off with designing a game with a randomization mechanic is you need to sort of decide how often failure and success happens. That's the core of it. Because D20, our single D20 is exceedingly swingy. Because yeah. in theory, welcome to theoretical physics, everyone. We have you have a five percent chance of getting any number roll. So obviously, if you want a game where you see more, you're going to have to find a way of adding modifiers to that dice to increase that chance. Because if not, you're, you know, if you're trying to roll 10, in theory, that's about 50-50 chance of success or fail. So if you want a game that's exceedingly dangerous, that might work for you. Because everything's a coin flip. But if you want a game where sort of characters are more stronger or there's more strategy involved, then you might want to look into something that gives more of general results a good thing to remember and i have to remind myself this all the time is that when rolling dice it's standard deviation of a pool you're always going to end up with about the middle because there's more ways to reach that from a combination of dice eg 2d6 most likely you're going to get is seven because that's six and one five and two etc 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 that also means certain pools can give you higher average results by using more and more of less sided things, e.g., two d twenty is has a lower average roll than four d ten. Yeah, it, it's so like think like when you start looking at the math of that again, you cannot just go based off of what you think is common sense for math because math makes no sense, and you just have to trust that this eldritch being that we call math will will do the right numbers for you make, make your regular sacrifices yeah just right <laughs> keep the altar primed and you know, nice and the candles lit but it's so much i would say of, of mechanics especially with randomized is so much more about it's more than just looking at the numbers it's looking at what you want to achieve and having your randomizer serve the game not the game serve the randomizer Randomizers do not care. You want to have, you want to sort of build your game around a randomizer that fits what you're trying to get right. players to do. Because mm-hmm. as we're going to humans against syncratic, if what the hell was that idiosyncratic? You want to reward them for the behavior you want to see. Sure. And we're and now once, moving to behavior psychology. <laughs> <laughs> once you once you once you kind of establish what that is, too, I highly recommend um, finding some way, shape, or form to to test that test those numbers to see what those numbers are you want to decide like you were saying starshine like it's a question of you know how often do you want to succeed do you want the characters to succeed on average 70 percent of the time um that's the magic number that dnd uh, research turned up a few years ago um and or do you want it to be 50 percent of the time um and then finding a way to to test that to 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 uh, you can um you know you can put together a formula in um Excel, if you're not skilled at doing that, you can find someone to do it for you for, you know, I, I, I've done it for a number of games where I literally, I have a guy who, I have a guy. Um, <laughs> Get a mask uh, guy. Well, he was, he was, I was put Think to Vinny t- around the, around uh, the, uh, the alleyway. A designer friend of mine put me in touch with him and he's a, uh, he's a college mathematics professor. 
and um oh you likes do have the, a math like, guy <laughs> likes the i literally do have a math guy and le, he likes the challenge of putting together the uh the formula in uh excel to, to to give me the spread you know on on different things and like when i did the playing card thing for capers i had him develop the formula that i could actually change the deck composition like i have ch check boxes where i can go zero or one and they'll tell me okay the ace through your uh, uh two through ace in each of the four suits and the two jokers i can go click 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 those cards aren't in the deck anymore what are my chances of getting this result um, and he wrote that all up and it was not terribly expensive because it was a fun little challenge that he just did. You know, I mean, you can find somebody that'll, that'll work that out. And some, and if things are simple enough, you can probably find something online. Oh yeah. There's, there's plenty yeah. of resources for dice probability. Um, the, the card thing was like a little, <laughs> a little out there being able to change the composition even, of the deck. Uh, problem with finding cast is you end up in that weird end of uh, beat the casinos kind of buy my book to learn how to, you end up in that weird angle. Cause I was looking into it earlier to try and find a quick, bigger <laughs> no he, and uh, lots of infomercials but not much information but again i think a sort of big thing for designers is there are these kind of common randomizers and they're common because they're accessible and everyone hasn't i think also because some of the work's already been done for you but think one does my game need a randomizer because players are inherently randomizers they will do things in a way yep. that you don't expect and i have a lot of games which don't have a randomizer it just relies on players saying things and sometimes, and players will, they're great randomizers because they are very close to nearly random because they will say things you never see coming. And that's part of it. So maybe you don't need this sort of dice or card, or maybe, you know, try other randomizers and see what fits what you're trying to do. And don't be afraid to don't go on that hunt for perfect random because that's a college paper and several years of work. The, the CERN RPG group is very intense. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole threat of making a black hole if the party dies is kind of worrying me. And, yeah, and, just, and, and, and just a warning, because we've discussed, as we've discussed through this entire episode, like math makes no sense. Well, technically it makes perfect sense. It just doesn't make sense to us necessarily. We, we won't necessarily have it all broken down because we're not all statisticians. My lizard so brain if, doesn't like it. If you're doing anything, anything more complex than just a flat roll or like adding adding two numbers together um it you know the more complex your 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 preferred like you've come up with this neat mechanic and you think it serves the game that you're trying to to design and everything is if it's if it's if it's anything beyond just kind of simple um if it's complex at all is to find a way to to uh, get somebody to run uh, numbers on it if you can um because you might be, you might be surprised playtesting can do it as well just ro rolling the dice a lot and just seeing where they go um but uh, you might be surprised, I think is the, the point I'm trying to make is that like you think like, okay, I've, des I've devised this thing and I'm pretty sure that's going to give me a spread from here to here and it's going to skew this direction and you start playing it or you have somebody run the numbers and you're like, no, it doesn't do that at all. It does something very different. And now you've suddenly got a system that you either need to adjust the system to kind of get it where you want it to be, or you adjust the expectation of the mechanic right up in your game and say, well, maybe the target numbers aren't as high. Maybe I need yeah. to just bring the target numbers down because I know that this dice system is going to get me here this percentage of the time. And one thing I will point out is, though, is that's a good thing. Um, I don't want anyone to come away from this sitting there going, oh, God, I have to like know all this math to make games. Exactly, yeah. No, I have no life and I'm a dork, so this stuff interests me. You can do a lot with what you know. It's just remembering, keeping in mind that things sometimes aren't as clear-cut as you might think they are, 
And that's what playtesting is for. Be that actual convention playtesting if you have the resource to do it, or even just scenarioing it with yourself. Because I playtest games by playing with myself. And that helps, because that helps me sometimes find situations yeah. by going, well, that never saw that combination of things happening. And you build on that. And if your mechanics are, like I said, again, more than just something real simple, it can be helpful to just walk them past some other people that are into games and say, hey, I've got this mechanic I'm planning to do. It does, And this is how you play it. This is how the mechanic works. And the person might be like, well, what about this? What about this incredibly common occurrence? And you'd be like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Like that could, that could happen quite a lot. And that could not, you know, that, that, that doesn't jive with what I'm trying to do. Well, so now you need to make an adjustment because oh, just, I just like, I've... that's, that's like treating another player, like, um, like an editor on your writing, like you're having them do giving you an editing pass on your mechanical idea to just look at it and say, that doesn't, okay, there's something, there's something here. That's going to be a problem that you may not have noticed. I talked to friends a couple of times. I, God bless my friends. They put up with enough shit from me. But, um, <laughs> oh, I've had a few times where I'm like, yeah, this is what this would be. And like, what if I do that? You've just ruined everything. Thank you very much. I'll give you a fix that. <laughs> but again, consider, if I, if I could put this into like a line or like a statement, is consider doing other randomizers. Dice are not the end of the world. Cards are great, but they're also not the end of the world. You can have a lot of fun with lord randomizers just because something isn't perfectly random doesn't mean it isn't a good mechanic and that's fine if it serves the game it serves the game and i totally recommend some of the most fun i've had as a designer has been looking at a random object and going how do i turn this into a game probably the most of i had with that was seeing a rolling a melon around and going what was if the game had only d1 <laughs> and that was so much fun to design and it's it, sure it's not the most perfectly mathematical random game in the world but it's a lot of i've had people say this was fun to play because in that moment of playing players aren't going to be sat there with their calculators going oh well this is technically a leading statistics provided the game isn't breaking over itself repeatedly you can get away with like little tweaks to make sort of make sure your mechanic works but can still be flawed in that. That flaw, you can build on it, can be part of the fun. And no matter what, someone's going to fudge the numbers that they end up getting, so. <laughs> and they, sh- and they should. full circle. <laughs> well done, Jess. Oh. I, I applaud you. That was you. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, no, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, you, do you have more more math tricks you want to share? To my, my brain, my fried little lizard brain who doesn't like to believe that math works the way that it works. Uh, there, 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 there's probably more out there. Um, hey, uh, find us on Twitter and uh, and tell us about other things like the Monty Hall problem that we might not know about that can we can bend our brain to, and try to understand why it works that way when it doesn't seem like it should. Yeah, I want I want to crack my brain in half um, because I feel like that might be the way that I truly understand the universe. <laughs> You've, we've reached enlightenment by us excited guys. <laughs> that's that all Buddha the, did. That's the, just... start, that, that's the start of a religion kind of form. Yeah. More of a cult, probably. <laughs> well, how do you find true enlightenment, Jess? <laughs> well, I haven't yet. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, just understanding all the weird math stuff out there. <laughs> I feel when I understand all of that, I will be at peace. <laughs> Uh, Starshine, do you want to tell us where where people can find you and uh, plug anything you want to plug? 
Yeah, uh, you can find all of my stuff at starshinescribbles.card.co. Cards dealt with two R's, like you're a pirate. T-A-R-R-D. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it's for that. But that's where my portfolio is, where you find um, all my games, all my writing, and all the other stupid stuff I do day to day. You can also find me on Twitter at starshinescrib, because scribbles wouldn't fit. And uh, I don't talk about math as much there. So don't worry, there won't be math. <laughs> Apart from the days there are math. Which is a Tuesdays. Tuesdays is my math day, and uh, yeah, on the on uh, the portfolio you'll find a link to my last game, which is Macaroons, Milkshakes, and Magic, which is a fusion of a solo TTRPG and a group game about being magical girls, fighting evil, having fun, and trying to find true love, and also fighting evil because kicking evil is a big part of it. <laughs> you can find me at Wannabe Games anywhere, anywhere. Um... Drive through RPG or itch or on my Twitter at Joska, although that is currently locked down. And you can find me at uh, nerdburgergames.com. And my games are up at drivethroughrpg.com. And I am at nerdburgergames on the Twitter. And uh, this year is five years for Nerdburger Games. So, uh, five year anniversary. Didn't really know for sure, like when would be the right time to kind of celebrate it. So, I'm making it uh, a thing in October that'll kind of. Um, uh, coincide with running a little online um, convention um, on the 16th and 17th. So I'm gathering up people to run some games and Jess is one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And see you again next time.